welcome to the CE Pro Podcast. I'm Executive Editor Arlen Schweiger. It's safe to say we're in a golden age for home video. When you combine technologies like 4K, OLED, and HDR, plus the availability of so much content out there, it's easy to see why consumers have been updating their entertainment systems throughout the pandemic. In this week's episode, CE Pro's Bob Archer checks in with video experts Joel Silver, Jason Dustel, and Robert Zone to discuss how integrators can capitalize on this golden opportunity. Hi, I'm Bob Archer, Senior Editor with CE Pro Magazine, and today for the CE Pro Podcast, we are going to talk about the future of home video. We have a great panel today, and we're going to talk about 8K, uh, high dynamic range, 120 hertz refresh rates, and more with uh, Joel Silver from the Imaging Science Foundation. Joel, how you doing? Uh, doing well, zombie apocalypse and all. It's actually been an intriguing year for home video and a difficult year for a lot of our professional clients in post-production. So it's mixed results. Uh, thankfully, our entire team has so far been healthy. A couple of people got ill and recovered, but uh, we're intact. And now with vaccinations going great guns in the States, so we're doing better. I wish I could say the same for our Canadian brethren and our European folks, but the States is doing quite well and the home market is strong. So we've got some people here who could talk about that who are either selling into it and support it. So it's been a, an interesting year, both from a content side, quality of content, quality of set, and volume of integration. So most of our integrators are hard pressed to keep up. So interesting year for our business. Okay, we also have Robert Zong, one of the highest profile dealers in the entire country, known for his video expertise. Value Electronics is based in New York. Robert, how are you doing? Thank you, all is well, and thanks for inviting me here today. And just to follow up on Joel's very correct statement, um, we one of the unusual side effects of COVID is that people are upgrading entertainment in their house. So the audio and video category is increasing in sales volume and in the quality of products that people are buying. People that would normally buy an entry level to mid-level are buying a higher end product because they are enhancing the entertainment in their home. So we're seeing a much larger demand for premium products this year. Great. Uh, it, uh, it it, that's positive news and, and confirms exactly what Joel was saying. Uh, our last uh, panel participant is uh, Jason Dustel from Meridio. Meridio. Yeah, you got Meridio. it. Meridio. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, thanks for having me. I, I, I can, you know, I can only parrot what uh, Joel and Robert are saying. My dealer friends uh, here in Florida have just been absolutely slammed since uh maybe a slow month or two at the beginning, but they've been just rocking hard ever since. And with the new TVs hitting the market very soon, if not any day now, uh, I've been getting more and more requests to calibrate in people's homes and our integrator customers that are Meridio customers are, um, they're scooping up equipment because they're doing bigger jobs. As Robert said, the higher end clients are really starting to come out and even the mid-level clients who've been saving money by not going to concerts and stuff for a year uh, are, are able to afford the nicer product. So from my perspective, it's, we've been rocking and rolling. I'm just like Joel, just ready to get back on the road and start teaching and traveling again. Okay. Uh, since, since we've already kind of 
discuss this first question, I'll ask you guys to elaborate on this. And my first question is, could you summarize where the home video market stands in terms of formats and performance? Do you feel we've hit the limits on the market's current technologies? And Jason, since you're on my screen first, could yeah. we start with you? Yeah, um, we're starting to see some really interesting things. Um, we're getting brighter and brighter LCD panels. We're even getting brighter OLEDs now. Um, I don't think we've even come close to hitting our limits. Um, I've seen some 120 frames per second video and that's addicting. Uh, the high res stuff on giant 77 and 83 inch screens is also addicting. Uh, so we're just now, I think, getting to the point where the average consumer is starting to see very, very good video and it's just going to get better from here. Robert, could you um, share your thoughts with us? Thank you, yes. And every year we see nice incremental upgrades in processing and in panel display development, but this is probably one of the bigger jumps and leaps in display technology advancements. We're seeing processors that are really actually, especially uh, Sony's been promoting this theme uh, quite a bit, and LG and Samsung, that we're going beyond just artificial intelligence. The TV displays and the processors are working just like the human visual system works and how our brains work. What image area are we focused on if, when someone's speaking? Uh, and what background images we focus on, analyzing so much in the image and looking at their stored database to reproduce a more accurate image. So we're seeing a big upgrade in video processing. Again, as, as uh, Justin just said as well, we're seeing a big upgrade in the panel brightness, both from LCD panels hitting close to uh, 4,000 nits and even brighter. And we're seeing L OLED panels going up to 1,300 nits in their vivid modes. So we're seeing brighter panels with better video processing. This is one of the better years for video science advancement than any year I've seen before, both in processing, power, and display uh, technology as well, the display itself. So it's a big upgrade this year. And uh, Joel, um, wh where do you see the market? Well, I think uh, we could be conservative in saying we've got under our belt five years worth of progress in one year. The adaptation of the next generation of video, which was really laid out conceptually by the ITU in 2012 with the state of ultra high definition. Uh, the 4K was the initials, the acronym the client saw, but they didn't see much in picture quality, but put his 4K under the umbrella of 4K, we've got a wider color gamut. So we're getting beyond the 1990 limits going up to 2012. And the dream will be 2020 color, which no one has seen yet, but mm -hmm. we're at P3. So we've gone to the 2011 standard, which is a giant leap of 1990, which is what we've been watching forever. So getting better color, as you know, Jason Dussel was saying, dramatically brighter sets and Robert's in the field measuring these things, you know, getting over a thousand, let alone 1300 for an OLED matches the production of most of the content creation on an OLED. So getting to a thousand nits, and I have one rather esteemed writer who's complaining about one TV only does 700 nits. Because uh, the ones he watched most of his lifetime were 100 nits. So it was only seven times brighter. He wanted a thousand and he'll get it this year. But in five years of progress, the initial research done at the University of British Columbia on the Barton book, which was the foundation of high dynamic range way back when, 20 plus years ago, it was inspired 
by an acquisition by Dolby Labs, who was one of the pioneers in measuring how we see. So what we're actually seeing now on screen is video not designed for 100 years with the CRT development, not the CRT, probably the most successful electronics product in the history of electronics. It did hundreds of millions of products for the better part of a century. But you know, that is a product that came out to be fortunately analog like us, but the Barton book and the Dolby Perceptual Quantitizer, which was based on the Barton curve, actually measured how we see. So it was a quantum leap in making a picture look more realistic to our eye, because it's not aiming at a tube technology anymore. We're aiming at actually human perception of contrast. So the book's a landmark book. Canadian University took it to heart, built a product acquired by something called Brightside. Then she became Dolby's perceptual quantitizer, which I happened to see early on in the early 2000s, and it knocked my socks off when I was miserable, because I said, I don't really want to see this anymore until I can take it home. I said, be patient. So SIMPTI people looked at it, became SIMPTI 2084. At that point, now you've got a global standard, and we've got between Netflix and Amazon and YouTube and Disney Plus and all the others, you've got a jump to content in this new language of light that could only have happened in a pandemic. Uh, mm -hmm. Theatrically, it was planned. And of course, the disaster in theaters right now is the lack of adaptation of some of the new HDR projectors. There were going to be more of them, but the theaters closed. We're not seeing that happening very much. So that's been problematic and the theaters will come back. But pointing towards the home where I'm seeing these streaming services and I see HDR and Dolby Vision and Atmos come up. And on the audio side, I'll just give you one mention from audio because I remain a hobbyist in audio. Some of the tracks in the movies right now were not engineered ever for movie theater. They were designed by the audio engineers for home viewing. So we've got some incredible audio coming over the streams. And you know, for me to say publicly, I'm watching a bunch of streaming is an accomplishment. I'm anti-stream generally. I'm plus, you know, 4K Blu-rays, which are, you know, 100 meg a second. But some of the streaming quality, it's looking pretty good. Even for me to say on a projector, it's working fine. When I go to standard dynamic range streaming, it doesn't really cut it on a projector for me. I go to a flat panel. But that five years worth of progress in one year gives us content, which drives everything. And Jason, you live through the... 4K HDR totally. HDMI problems, correct? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. With massive problems. The yep. new 2.1 standard. And uh, Robert, the 2.1 is going to take it to all these new features. It's going to take us to 48 gig. Yes. And we're going to need it as we evolve into more things. So we're getting beyond the smaller pictures and the bigger pictures. We're getting beyond the limits of the old CRT for light. We're expressing things, the language of light that's good for people. And we're around the corner from getting rid of the shackles of the 1939 decision to go 60 pictures per second. So that's you know, close to 100 years. And you know, uh, Robinson, I'm sure you've seen some 120 content as well. Is it striking yeah. any better? Yes, it is. And it's okay, nice so, to see that frame rate, especially so we, where it's needed fast-moving objects. Yes. Well, you don't need it to watch The Queen's Gambit, which was a <laughs> no. wonderful series to begin with, beautiful looking. But you don't need 120 frames per second to do that, but for tennis and football and the Olympics. So we have really revolutionized movie production and movie distribution. The next gen that I'm excited about is for my sports junkies. 
the guys who live and breathe sports. And 120 is going to be for them one of these aha HD moments where you went from standard definition to high definition and everyone said, wow, better. So this is not a subtle jump. Like HDR was not subtle. The next jump and the catastrophe last year, not having Japanese Olympics. Uh, I actually have held a number of the 8K 120 cameras in my hand. They're surprisingly handholdable. Mm -hmm. The bundle of cables, however, coming out the back of them, that's not handholdable. <laughs> the signal is huge. I anticipate the vast majority of that being detuned down to 4K 120, which is still going to be a revelation. But we're going to jump into that with the Olympics here. Uh, the gaming people have eclipsed us. So the few games that are 120, are just killing it with my gaming clients. They just say more. <laughs> so, Robert, your timing on this call is good. The residential market's hot as a pistol. My post-production guys are, if they're working for a company and they're allowed in a the building, they're working as many hours as they can possibly stay awake. The independents can't get content, so they're hurting badly. And we need content. So am I seeing content coming to America from every country in the world? Yeah. Some of the Mexican, the Israeli, the German, the Italian, the Indian, we got content coming from all over the world and some of it looks pretty good and it's all fun. So I'm sitting here saying, you know, I've had more time at home because I'm not traveling before, like I used to. My uh, mm -hmm. record was 227,000 miles in 2019, which almost near killed me, but it was fun. Uh, this year, of course, no miles so far until the city of September. I'm thrilled to get back on a plane and see my friends. But uh, mm -hmm. being home more than normal, I should have been able to watch everything I want to watch. I'm not even close to catching up to the series so that people who I know and respect have told me, Joel, you got to see this. looks good and it's fun. So my to-do list on what I want to watch, it's beyond any limits of time that I might ever have. Mm -hmm. It's great content. So sorry for the long answer, but this is an exciting year for us. This has been you know, scary, sad, devastating. And from people stuck at home, at least we provided them with some entertainment, some distractions, get them out of their fear-enclosed little void that they've been in, let them take a little vacation watching some talented people produce fabulous content delivered in HDR formats that are knocking my socks off. So that's my story. <laughs> okay, kind of digging in to your responses, and I'll say this question is kind of predicated on, I, I did a story back in the winter uh, on a uh, value electronics and Robert uh, adding um, some very limited production Panasonic displays um, to, to the store. And it, it made me think considering what other companies like Sony and LG are also doing, do you think the home TV market is moving close, closer to the performance standards with uh, flat panel TVs to the products that the post-production people are using for their professional applications. And uh, Robert, since I mentioned it, the, the story or the question idea came from you, could you start us off? Thank you very much. And uh, we, we sell primarily to the consumer, high-end consumer and moderate level, but we do a lot of business also with post-production and Hollywood studios. And they buy LG mostly, OLED televisions, to do their critical reference client monitors. So their clients will come in and look at the content on an LG OLED uh, TV. So they've come a long way in 
critiquing the performance of the picture quality through. They're not quite watching a stock LG TV, correct? But I think someone may have uh, made some adjustments. Well, uh, we calibrate a lot of them for them using ISF expert one and two, a day and night. So we, that, we get, that gets you close, but uh, yes, production people are really careful with image quality and they're thrilled to see the adjustments that you're well, using are, being in the TVs. These are, that, that's correct. We do the big LUT. We write right to the LUT in the TV. And uh, we, may, we build a very large LUT lookup table. And um, they're, they're not using them for grading. Although some of the some of the colorists and film finishers are looking over at the client monitors, but these are client reference monitors and not for grading. But also the big trend today is continuing on larger screens and the manufacturers are feeding that uh, LG and Sony with 83 inch OLED televisions. Um, we're seeing a hundred inch uh, Sony. X92J coming out this year, consumer grade 100 inch TV. So we're seeing the trend for larger and larger TVs. ATSC 3.0, the next generation of television, is fueling more business on premium TVs because you can get a better picture and you want to display that on a better television monitor. So we're seeing um, content being driven, driving sales of premium TVs, Disney Plus all the new streaming services, um, first run movies coming out for streaming at the same time they come out in motion picture theaters or even before now. So we're seeing content actually driving sales of premium product and larger screens as well. So again, this is a very big transition this year. And um, I don't know if I got off subject there, but we're seeing a beautiful year ahead of us in this premium product category. No, right, you're on the subject. Let me just kind of give a little back door view of what's happened here. And it may have started a long time ago with a little old company called Pioneer, yes. knocking out the PDP, plasma display panel. Yes. And they were the first client we had the privilege of working with and the team we worked with there, we still work with now, they work in front of the manufacturer. They were the first team we were able to persuade to put the controls into a consumer TV set to try as best as we could to make it look compliant with the international standards that the post-production community calibrates to. So that was a landmark product. And uh, we were with Robert in New York and he brought his old pioneer calibrated to the nines at the shootout for regular SDR. And he was really happy because even at his age on SDR it looked kind of good. Because yeah. it was ancient and motion refresh was good. When it got to HDR, we won't talk about that because it wasn't designed for HDR. But that was the first of its kind. The people adopted it, loved it. I've still got people watching it. I still get calls to calibrate them. It's amazing for an antique TV, but it was a good TV. So that's inspired a number of other product managers to do the same thing. Put controls in the TV sets so we could make them look the way they're supposed to look so we could see the content the way that someone who made the content dream, we would see it. So the beginning of it was one small brand at the high end. And uh, Jason, you've actually calibrated some four and $500 TVs now that calibrate oh, them, correct? Yeah, I mean, the, the whole gamut. I mean, you can you can spend five, 600 bucks on a TV right now and get very good results and good controls and they work and people are happy. 
um, something that we would have just dreamed for uh, five years ago. Um, you know, it used to be this high-end expensive thing if you wanted, you know, close to a reference monitor, but even some of the consumer-based OLEDs that we're seeing in the studios as client monitors, as Robert has said, um, you know, us geeky calibrator folks are looking at things like Delta airs and, 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 and accuracy and just trying to get these things dialed in. And we're starting to see consumer panels that are doing Delta airs for grayscale and color gamut less than one, which is like what we see in studio monitors. There's still a few shortcomings here and there, but the fact that those uh, consumer panels are even in some of these studios means that we've made a ton of progress. Well, we've got to compliment the industry, the competitive nature of it, and the people who started it going. We actually aimed the company when we started ISF at the few hundred dealers that did front projection systems, Robert type of dealer, who would be sitting there with the highest end clientele on the planet, putting in $75,000 to $100,000 systems. And I was involved in one of those systems a couple of weeks ago where I had spent close to $100,000 on his projector and he replaced it with a $22,000 projector because he's only using the home from time to time. Mm -hmm. And we blew his doors off because the $22,000 current product blew away his $100,000 10 year old product. Mm -hmm. He was expecting a middle step, almost the same, no, it blew it away completely. But the controls that we've got in flat panels at no money, this is the miracle of digital. When we talked to Pioneer, it was only the elite products that had the controls. Now we're talking with someone like LG, the controls are in 8 million products a year. All the TVs have the controls because once you're doing the software, it doesn't cost more to put them in all the TVs. Of course, they may not work as well in the $400 product as they do in the $8,000 product, but the same software is there. Mm -hmm. You get within a limit of it. So uh, I've gone into homes and been able to do bedroom TVs for kids that were no money and you know, state-of-the-art systems for people. But the whole plan here is one word, it's compliance. We've got standards. Um, Jason's actually a co-chair on one of the standards committee with me at CTA and CDA. We just finished the standard for HDMI design and verification. That was a bear. We mm -hmm. need to finish that one before we go to the new home theater standard, which we'll start up shortly. But you know, it's compliance. We know what the game is. We know what the picture quality is supposed to look like. And the miracle is the whole consumer world has moved towards the same standards compliance that the professional world wants. So there's no mystery in these things are there. The rules all come from the ITU. It's 193 countries deciding, you know, what color grayscale should be, what hmm. color is red, you know, where do we go in EOTF and things. So we have a defined world for a paint by numbers picture quality game. And depending upon the budget, you either nail it within the perceptions of the human eye. And you know, Jason, you mentioned a Delta E of you know, under one. Yeah. Who sees the difference between a Delta E of one and a Delta E of two? I mean, that's nearly, I, I would challenge anybody to, to be able to see a difference in that. I mean, the fact that we're getting those low numbers again on consumer displays is just, it's, it's, that's why it's crazy. The, that's why you're seeing them in studios. And that's why oh, yeah. you get some awards being given. So the fact that I can actually come close to a pro monitor at a hundred inch and 83 inch size mm -hmm. at home, good times. And, you know, we've seen content plenty of those reference monitors that are used in studios for color grading and stuff. I mean, they're a thousand dollars an inch. I mean, we've, we've seen them before with our own eyes and yeah, they look great, but the fact that we can get that accurate on a 77 inch TV for five grand or less is, is really, really awesome. And as we speak right now, there are countless numbers of post-production people working at home mm -hmm. on high-end calibrated consumer displays, That's right. making first run product for streaming 
and eventually for movies. So yes, this wasn't designed to be a color grading monitor, but you're not getting a $43,000 display into someone's bedroom at home. Okay? And you're not gonna buy 20 of those for 20 guys and put them in the houses. Uh, we've got enough empty facilities in Manhattan, Los Angeles, where these $43,000 monitors are quiet because no one's working there. That's the tragedy behind this. We need more content, we're desperate to do it. And when you see a newcomer come in with a brand new streaming service and break 100 billion viewers in under a year, people want to watch and the quality is worth it. And that's what, six or eight dollars a month? Yep. For productions are worth a couple hundred million dollars, it's a good deal. Uh, well, let me what, ask, else, what else do you want to cover? Let's mm -hmm. go to the next topic. <laughs> Shifting uh, the topic slightly, uh, let's look at projectors, particularly, I, I think. Um, with the, uh, the increased availability of 4K projectors for $2,000 and less with some sort of a high dynamic range included in their feature sets. Where do you think these products stand in terms of their performance and providing value for customers? And Joel, um, we'll start with you. Well, we've had the same problem with projectors since the beginning of home projectors, fighting for light. In the early days with the three-gun CRT, which was the basis of how we all started, you know, if you were in a room and you could put your hand in front of your face and you could see your hand, the room failed. You needed a pitch black room. And if you lit a candle, you washed out the entire picture because we had maybe two or 300 lumens on a good day. Uh, we just tested a $1,700, 3,000 lumen DLP projector. So light output was there, but the problem with projection has always been the same. People are looking for a very big screen and they don't want to spend the money it takes to drive the big screen. So this was critical in standard dynamic range to get to the 11, 12 foot Lamberts we were thinking of for movie theaters. Uh, what changed my life was putting in some of the three chip DLPs for high-end clients and watching their faces. And this was mm -hmm. dramatically more in the theatrical light, but I'm watching them just bubble and they're thrilled and we were tripling the amount of light that was coming on to theatrical presentations. And of course, we could do it in a controlled environment. And I dragged Jason, a few of my other friends, everyone I could to go see when they were open the Dolby Vision theaters. And, and Mr. Bessler, what was your first reaction when you saw 30 plus foot lamberts on a screen in a theater? It was, it was weird, to be honest, because <laughs> it, not only was the luminance there, um, and we, I'd never seen anything that big and that bright before. Never. Um, the thing that was really, I had a hard time wrapping my head around. Um, I've never seen deep saturated colors in dark scenes. It, a dark purple, for example, would just kind of blend in with shadows and well, black. Tell the, movie, but, tell the movie I took you to. It oh scene. yeah. So um, we went to see uh, Black Panther right when it dropped. We were in, I think, Scottsdale, Arizona, somewhere like that. Um, and just some of the, uh, some of the colors of, uh, red and purple and some of the costumes in that movie. Um, there's one particular scene in that movie where they're in like a nightclub and there's a big shootout and big fight scene. Yeah. And the whole entire time I'm sitting there looking at them like those deep reds should not exist on, in this film. This is, this is just crazy. So it's addicting. It, it, it you didn't in the early days and oh, it, yeah. it didn't on projectors. So to get right. back to Robert's question. Projection in HDR is not the same as projection in the flat panel. Because as I'm looking for a thousand foot Lamberts, you're not getting a thousand foot Lamberts off a projector no matter what you do. And if you do, the blacks are going to be totally shot. So your dynamic range is limited. So we're not going to be able to equal 
at any price point what I can do with an LCD or an OLED in a flat panel. What you can equal, and what I really look for in a projection system, is compliance with the color standards. If I'm stuck with a projector that's really bright, that only does Rec. 709, 1990 color, I have no interest in that projector at all. One of the miracles of HDR is we've got wide color gamut. So no matter what your budget is, make the screen small enough to get yourself a reasonable amount of light, triple what we used to aim at. And I took a lot of flack for putting 30 and 40 foot numbers in people's homes and theaters. So people say, that's not theatrical. I'm saying, well, theatrical wish they could. So we did this for close to 10 years. And the first time I walked into a Dolby Vision Theater, I went, yes, vindicated. Finally. <laughs> Finally. But they also cheated. I hate them. They have a four-chip DLP and mm -hmm. they have metadata that turns the lasers off. So not only are they brighter, they're blacker. So before a Dolby Vision Theater was in my repertoire, I had never seen fade to black in a movie theater. I saw fade to gray for a lifetime, but I never saw fade to black. Mm -hmm. So it's not only brighter, it's more dynamic. But you can get P3 color compliance out of a reasonably priced projector. And if you keep the screen small enough or have the budget to really drive a big screen with a lot of lumens, uh, we're now seeing 10,000 lumen projectors hitting the consumer side design for consumers. On the professional side, of course, you're 20 times that. Yeah. Okay, you've got projectors that'll light up you know, sides of buildings in Dubai with your project in a museum. Yeah, those are, you could do amazing things with three chip DLPs and monster things, but you can't get the contrast. And that's what you need in the home. So if we can aim P3, no matter where we're going, and I'm not talking 80, 90% P3, I mean P3, period. Not almost P3. And what that does, the projector I'm running at home here is a laser phosphor projector. When it hits a metadata response and it flips into HDR P3, I hear a click. Mm -hmm. It drops filters into the light path. Mm -hmm. I'm now filtering the light for better color. And at that point, my HDR setting has the laser running full bore, where I'm not running full bore in SDR. That filter gives me better colors and less light. So no matter what your budget is, you want to have a smaller screen in number of square inches and people saying, looks too small. And I have a simple answer. If the projection screen looks too small, move your chair. Sit closer. <laughs> Sit closer. <laughs> Sit your gets bigger. But don't cheap out and have a dim dull color projector and then plug in something that is HDR and wide color gamut and sit there and say, well, my $500 flat panel looks better because it does. But you can get some pretty dramatic. And Jason, you've been in my house with uh, a pretty bright projector. Oh, Jason's yeah. Was, it looks kind of like a big OLED. Well, it's not quite the blacks, but OLED. It's, it's, it's impressive. And, you know, it's funny because we see these like 1800 lumen projectors out there. And, you know, on the side of the box, it says 30 to 300 inch, you know, image. So everyone wants to go for the 300. They don't think anything about room lighting. They don't think anything about um, washing out the picture and, and those types of things. So, you know, my, my analogy I've been using with people is, you know, you take a big giant V8 motor and you put it in a Miata and it's really, really, really fun. So lots of power. Don't go too crazy on the screen. And oh my gosh, guys, room lighting, room lighting, room color is super, super important. Um, yeah, I've seen plenty of rooms before where they've got yellow walls and white floors and white ceiling. And they're like, why is my projector not look so bright? Jason, um, what about screen technology and your calibrations? You're starting to see some ambient light controlling screens. Yeah, there, there's some here and there. Um, I haven't seen a ton because in just in my path I've been taking, I've seen more darker dedicated theater rooms, but like we 
here in our office in Florida, um, we do have a big Runco projector and we have a 100 and I think six inch screen, ambient light rejection screen. And when we throw on PowerPoints and do little meetings in there, it's fine. Totally fine. And you're running one of the better ambient light projector screens. We work with a company in Copenhagen, Japanese uncle DNP. And they make a very expensive ambient light rejection screen using classrooms for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's designed to reject light from the top, from hi-hats. And it is color accurate. Yeah. So you look pretty at, good. You know, you've got over 3,000 lumens on a little screen. Mm-hmm. So yes, you can have lights on and watch PowerPoint and you have <laughs> a reasonable amount of light. Now, this brings up one of the point, and this may go somewhat beyond this normal conversation, but let me give you a hint for home theater projection that is multi-purpose. This will be part of the video stand we're watching. There are times when Jason and I will sit in my theater and we're involved in a theatrical presentation. We turn the lights off and we have minimum interaction with each other. Mm-hmm. We're interacting with the content. And at that point, room's dark. I may hear him laughing and gasping from time to time. So it's somewhat social, but it's not a social event. Where if I'm watching a game and I'm rooting for my team and he's throwing something at me because he doesn't like my team, I like his screen. It's a more social event than theater environment. So even in front projection, I like having a different mode with a different EOTF with a little more light on the screen and control light carefully where we can see each other, pour wine for each other, have a semi-social event watching sports where I don't want complete absorption into the content. We're playing a game mm-hmm. on the screen and we're interacting with each other. So if you have sufficient light and you've done a good job on room design, even in a dedicated room, I do a sports mode for my client. I want them to be able to play a game. Uh, my wife and her friends are tennis fans. I've got two basic jobs. You know, set up the game and pour the wine and then leave them alone. <laughs> If I happen to spill some wine on one of their fancy shirts, I'm a dead man. But no, you need some light in the room to have them watch tennis. And they're happy. And that's what this is about. It's entertainment. So some entertainment in the theatrical environment is dedicated room, minimum interaction. Some is a sports mode. Dedicated room, some light, lots of interaction with the people. And that's a different button. It's a sports button as opposed to a movie button. And if you have enough light coming off that screen, and a good ambient light rejecting screen, if the room's not perfect, uh, you can do wonderful things. It's not that we have bright, colorful projectors. So, Mr. Archie, you bring up a tough question, but room design, screen design, room, size, seating angles, this is now a design project that has to be done right to begin with. You can't recover from bedroom design. You can't recover from too small a projector and too big a screen. It's going to be a dull, boring system. And it still is a dedicated room where I've taken some very expensive real estate and done a substandard installation. You're not going to get a referral from that. And if you look at Mr. Robert Zahn's business up in New York, he's referral-based. Robert, how many customers are with you 15, 20 years? The vast majority are with us that much or longer. Yeah. They have a long, okay. loyal customer base. And I you, wanted don't, to comment you, don't, you, don't, you don't let them down. You design a system for them. I know the theater you're correct. putting in, it's going to work. It's going to be fun. That's correct. A little niche of ours or a big niche of ours is theater design. We build a lot of movie theaters. So I just wanted to touch base on that a little bit. We are seeing brighter projectors and we are seeing projectors that are more capable of the wide color gamut as well as HDMI even 2.1 in some cases. So there is an upgrade there, but we design a lot of theaters and we wrap them in duvetine. The ceiling, 
the walls, the back wall yeah. is all wrapped in black duvetine. It's a theatrical fabric that doesn't reflect any light. You put a flashlight. It's not even expensive. It, it's reasonable. Right. Not expensive. It helps the audio as well. Oh, yeah. So you don't get the reflected sounds, but it significantly helps the video. If it's a dedicated room, we ask the designer and decorator and all the people that are involved in making these beautiful houses beautiful to let us have our one space where we came in to watch movies and let's wrap it in black duvetine and make a reference theater because room design, as everybody before me has said, is the single most important thing to do. After that, we can select the right screen, the right fabric, you know, the right audio system, the right projector, the right screen size. But we have to design the room to be absent of light and not to reflect any light either. You can do that. If you do that, that's the single most important thing you can do. That, and I do like Panasonic's UB9000. I helped with the development of that to redo the electro-optical transfer function. We do the curve, we change the curve from a 10,000 nit graded film to the capability of the peak lumens of your projector. So we preserve the full dynamic tonal range and all of the color volume. It doesn't look like an OLED, but we get close with the room wrapped in duvet. We'll see the limitations you've got. Yeah. So yeah. You can only go up and, to 100 nits. You don't yeah. That's correct. That's right. right. But I'm very happy to see the new projectors coming out with, with P3 color. Mm -hmm. and higher peak lumens and lower prices and 4K resolution. We really have a nice, and the big trend in projection has been in the last two years on ultra short throw mm -hmm. to go into a formal living room where you would never have even a TV. It's a formal, gorgeous living room. Shut off the lights, turn on the projector when you have a movie theater in a formal room. So everybody's in that business only Sony was in it two years ago. Now everybody is in it. And it's a new category that's taken off ra very rapidly. Oh, what is a challenging has... category? You're talking a wide angle lens. You're talking that's uniformity correct. issues. Uh, yes. A lot of them don't calibrate well yet. It's a brand new that's... Wild Wild West game. And this thing's going to get tamed. Yeah. They're going to get better yeah. soon. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, if I could just touch on one thing, because Robert jogged a, a great thought. Um, we're starting to see some interaction between Panasonic Blu-ray players and certain manufacturers of projectors where they're designed to work together. So um, this whole thing with EOTF not tracking right and, and things that we challenges we've seen in the past, uh, there are certain ways to get around some of that stuff. That's a great a way to do it. There's also some, some third-party external outboard processors out there that really help with these types of things. And one thing I always like to recommend to people is, you know, when you're designing the system, think about one of these external processors as part of the budget and part of the price of the projector. And in those types of cases, the HDR is not, you know, it's not flat or washed out or underwhelming or like some of the complaints we've heard about in the prior years leading up to this. The biggest complaint I get on projector is the picture too dark. Too dark. You can't Every see time. the shadow detail. You're watching a dark movie. And of course, most of the blockbuster movies are dark. Mm -hmm. So your shadow detail is shot because they're trying to follow the EOTF without enough light and they're crushing everything near black right. becomes black. The shadow detail is gone. Mm -hmm. And we work with some gaming systems. You, know, you go into some of the gaming systems and you'll have a slide bar at the beginning of the game. Shows you where to adjust digitally the black level for the game. And this gets to be intriguing, but I can tell you, for example, if you're playing Halo and your shadows are crushed, you're going to die. Yeah, you're going to get shot. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even know who shot you. You're going to die. Yeah. You, know, you have no shot of surviving. So the gaming community has responded to this. 
And again, if you don't have a large budget, move your chair closer, put a small screen, light it up nicely, do a good job with the sidewalls. If you can't get the sidewalls perfect, look at ambient light projecting screens. So lots of things you can do, but projection design for a home environment, be a media room or a dedicated theater requires some talent. And this is where the custom integrators around the world are just thriving this year because people are watching a lot of video and they become demanding of their projectors because they've all bought high-end flat panels. And now they walk into the theater and they go, whoa, wait a second, wait, something's wrong here. And they call Robert. And next thing you know, they got a new projector and new machines to help the OTF. And you can make it work, but it's not plug and play. It's design it right. And then assemble the components carefully. The cabling for a projector is also not for the faint of heart. You know, we're looking at some long cable runs at some very high bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So Jason, how well are your uh, fiber sales going for long oh, cables? Great. I mean, when is, is all of them now? Everything yeah, long when, is fiber? Uh, yeah. I mean, when you start looking at HDMI runs of 10 meters and, and 20 meters and even up to 30, 40, 50, up to 100, um, one of the common solutions is, well, let's do a category cable and then there's some compression and you're looking at a giant screen and you can start to see the compression. And uh, the, the answer to this uh, lately have been these fiber copper hybrid cables. And again, up to 100 meters if, if you need it. Uh, and, and that's for the purists and that's for the people who have gigantic screens because we don't want to them to see these compression artifacts and noise and all the things that happen with compression. So uh, these long fiber copper hybrid cables have been rocking. Well, you look at the commercial side, we're doing classrooms. I can do category cable for hundred classrooms, inexpensively, make them No problem. Work, have a yeah. hundred inch screen with some lights on and it's no contrast and we're watching PowerPoints and text, the rest of it, and throw it into a home and all of a sudden pictures don't look good. So mm -hmm. distributing video around a home has become a science. And if you don't have the tools to do this, that's actually where Meridio comes in. Mm -hmm. um, we help design those tools for integrators doing multi-room systems. And the challenge of multi-room now is changing between HDR, SDR, <laughs> gaming systems, all of which shreds distribution systems to the point where phone calls get made, people are told mm -hmm. to shut it down, unplug, replug, and that gets old fast. Mm -hmm. So our growing pains in HDMI were agony for the better part of two years. And it's now under control of the components that make it work. And when we run a multi-set system, Jason and I will put together 10, 12, sometimes 20 monitors, and we change between SDR, HDR, and then we go to PC, and we go to game, <laughs> go back to 1080i, which quick hit for everybody watching. You're doing a multi-room system, don't send any 1080i through your system. You know, spend don't. 20 hours on a scaler and make a 1080p, and maybe the system will crash every other Saturday because it's going to be intermittent. And it's mm -hmm. driving nuts, but you know, throwing at least 1080p. And so we learned these things the hard way. That's where that new CTA, CDA, CEB28 comes in. The new one is going to be a revision of the CEB23. That's the home theater video standard. And the early email, uh, we actually leaned on Robert Zahn. Robert, uh, security is activating again. We have never had a retailer on the committee for designing yeah. home theater systems. True. It's a glaring omission on my part because we're dealing with manufacturers, system designers, screen manufacturers, TV manufacturers. Uh, we're gonna invite you on the committee if you'll honor us with your presence, but you're on a firing line. Thank so you. Your opinion is necessary. 
Thank you. I'm dealing with uh, Jason's a co-chair. He deals with the on a tech support basis a zillion times a day, sometimes with the hair on fire. But mm-hmm. I want you there for system design. Thank this you. is going to be a recipe book for making systems in homes that look great. And Thank you've you done a bunch much. of them. So we want your voice. It'll, it'll be a you know, couple hours a month on calls, okay. face-to-face meetings at some show. But I think your presence will be welcomed. Thank you very, very much. I'm quite Don't honored. be shy and be brutal. Okay. <laughs> yeah, we, we need that. We need that slap in the face sometimes. What are you guys thinking? You know, yeah, projection designs, uh, Mr. Archie, open up a can of worms by talking about projectors because it's not the projector. It's the room design. That's right. Projector is a small part of the puzzle. The right projector for the right room on the right screen at the right size at the right, right. angle with the right room color and design okay. is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And this yeah. one part of that process, and it's boring and ugly and a waste mm-hmm. of your real estate, which is really expensive. I'll, I'll add too before I ask my next uh, my next question that audio is the same too. Uh, audio, good audio in a in a in a home environment requires design. Spending a lot of money on amplifiers and speakers and stuff isn't going to magically make a system sound better. So uh, design is um, something that's highly important for for any audio or video system within the home. Totally. I can tell you firsthand, I've been spending a ridiculous percent of my meager income over the years on some amplifiers, preamplifiers, mm-hmm. speakers, all the rest of it. The single best investment I ever got as return on investment in audio was hiring an acoustician and treating the room. Thank you. Hands down, the best bang for the buck mm-hmm. ever got. And I did that a long time ago. The room has gone through numerous components, all of which sound better when they go into that room because yeah. the room was designed by someone who knew audio. Yes. Uh, not, not that we want to open up that can of worms mm-hmm. yet. We can tackle that in, a, in another podcast. But I want to ask you guys, since it's come up, um, we have HDMI 2.1 coming with its uh, specifications that include 8K, um, 120 hertz refresh rates, uh, high color gamuts, and many other features. Don't, don't forget 10K because mm-hmm. that's 10K 120. Yep, 10K yes. 120. Um, do you think the public is ready? For this rapid advancement of technologies where it just seems like we're settling in the 4k right now and all of the benefits of 4k and, and uh robert we'll start with you and then we'll, we'll work through the panel very good thank you well it's not just the resolution alone that makes the picture better although that is important to have the pixels denser closer together and smaller when you're doing a large screen presentation so resolution in itself has its value, particularly on large screen when you're up close. But they put their best processors, their best panels in these 8K TVs, and they look appreciably better. They have processing specifically designed for up conversion to 8K. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are watching YouTube. YouTube is exploding with 8K. I know Joel mentioned some 8K native 8K cameras. Um, Sharp is in that business, Nikon, um, Canon, even in the uh, prosumer grade. So we're seeing Netflix explode, I'm sorry, YouTube explode with native 8K content. We are seeing consumer grade or pro grade cameras in 8K. We shot uh, my son's wedding in August in our backyard. Oh, cool. Uh, native 8K shop camera. And we did video in 8K at 30 Hertz and uh, played it back on an 88 inch 8K OLED TV. And it was <laughs> Stunning. Yeah. I have never seen amateur video 
look anything like that before. It was literally stunning. So there's a great short-term growth and future in these 8K, camera, 8K cameras and displays, capable displays. And there's something about the human perceptual system that goes beyond the visual system. Your brain actually will fix things to look better to, to closer to real life because it knows what it's supposed to do. So your brain, will, your eyes will see it a certain way and your brain will make it even better. So these 8K high-end premium TVs deliver a gorgeous, stunning picture. And they're growing in popularity. And there's a lot of new models and brands coming out with uh, mini LED is exploding now from several brands. Uh, so we're, we're going to see some dual cell LCD mm -hmm. as well. So we're getting some nice advancements in the display technology that go hand in hand with the higher resolution and the wide color gamut, even BT 2020. Well, Robert, can I step into the high resolution for a second? Because we studied this extensively for the new ISF online when I had time. Yes. And what we were comparing were the traditional visual checks with the Stellan eye chart, read the letters, the year 2020 vision. And right. we based a lot of our system designs on the Stellan chart, where if you could see the pixel structure, the system failed. Yep. And when we went from 720p, three-chip DLPs, to 1080p, three-chip DLPs, we put systems together based upon the old research. And even though we couldn't see the pixels, we saw processing artifacts that made people just rebel. And I'm not mm -hmm. talking video files. I'm talking customers watching a baseball game going, what's right. going on with the bat and the strikes? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm watching <laughs> basketball. What, what, what's going on with the lines? And there is something called hyperacuity. We covered extensively in a new course. It's line pairs that move. So we are far more sensitive to motion artifacts than we are static artifacts. And one of the things that AK brings to the table, and you mentioned it briefly, but the up conversion of 2K mm -hmm. is four times easier in 4K and 16 times easier in 8K because they have more points to correct with. Mm -hmm. And even though the 4K sets do a good job of 2K up conversion, an 8K set is smoother. It is. And when things move, your visual hyperacuity, and uh, we cover this at length, there's some brilliant research being done on this. Uh, Ken Verner's done some photography on this on line pairs move, and our eyes are way beyond 2020 when it comes to things that are wrong in a picture. Absolutely. So you may not be able to see something on a standard resolution chart, but you got a camera on a basketball field that pans and the lines fall apart. And people go, well, what's that? Yeah. Yep. They wiggle. And then throw a 1080i source into it and everything's torn apart. Yeah. And that's where the 8K set playing 1080i is better than the 4K set. And it's the visual acuity, the hyperacuity of line pairs and the vernier effect and the way our eye works with the way our eye is structured with the saturation of sensory organs in the dead center of our eye. In mm -hmm. Volvia, where we are seeing things in two degrees worth of range, just a little bit of our vision where we see hyperacuity. And that's how we track things. You're watching basketball, you're tracking it in real life. You're tracking it with a camera and your eye on a 1080p TV set, it falls apart. Mm -hmm. It falls apart less of 4K and it falls apart a whole lot less than 8K. Now, throw 8K cameras at it, you solve the problem. And there's your bandwidth. So going back to the original question, we're putting in 48 gig infrastructure into homes way before we need it. 
So Jason, you've done some testing on these 8K sources with your radio. If I've got an 8K yeah. 24 hertz movie at 10 bit, am I 48 gig or am I less? Way less, way less. The, what the, does the radio tell you when you do the, because we've got format analyzer, so we can actually look at Yeah, the, I mean, great depth. The, depth. What do some you of see those, in the actual signal path? Some of those big ones, uh, what we're considering big today, at least based on HDMI 2.0, um, you know, 24, 26 gigs. Um, yeah. A lot of things are topping out at 40, just because if you look at, we've got a great chart on our website, meridio.com that shows you with this resolution, with this frame rate, with this chroma, with this bit depth, here's how much bandwidth it is. And when you look at things over 40 gigs, there's only like three or four, maybe five at the most formats. And that's when you start talking about that 10K 120 stuff. But, you know, the, the big stepping stone for consumer stuff, especially is going to be like 18 to probably 24. And then the step after that will be up to 40. And then, you know, years from now, we'll probably actually be seeing some of that 48 gig stuff, but it's coming, you know, we, we're starting to see more and more of it now. Our test equipment, uh, some of it is in production right now, as we speak, uh, we do have some prototypes of some other 8K stuff. Our friends over at the AV Pro Edge side of things, uh, they've got a prototype of an 8K HDMI 2.1 matrix switch that's in the lab right now. So, you know, extenders are coming, more switches are coming, distribution amplifiers are coming, test equipment's coming, sources are coming, TVs are already here. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's every week, I feel like we're just closer and closer and closer to getting to that kind of pinnacle that we've been trying to get to for 20 years. But I don't think you're going to get too much consumer content coming anywhere near the 48. Gig. No, no. You're going no, to get no, no, plenty no. of 24 to 30 to 30. Lots, 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 okay? lots. Which means our old 18 gig 2.0 is trash. Mm-hmm. It, just won't work. it won't work for the gaming systems. Right. When we went to 4K 120, let alone 8K. Yeah. Just going it, 120 breaks the camel's back. You, so getting 48 gig infrastructure into a home gives you headroom. Tons. To relax. Um, safe. You know your client's going to be able to get new toys and plug them in and make them work. And if you're aiming at 24 and you're pushing 30 with data 48, I think yep. HDMI.org did a great job. Yeah. The, the other thing too, talking about infrastructure, you know, we're recommending to a lot of folks right now, a lot of integrators that you run two Cat 6A cables and you run some duplex fiber, some OM3 fiber and put it in conduit, please put it in conduit. Uh, but if you pre-wire to death like that, I mean, you're not gonna have to tear the house apart or the, or the building apart in 10 or 15 years. It's already there. And even if it's not up to par in 10 or 15 years, uh, you've got conduit in there, just tape the two, tape the old cable to the new cable and just yank, not yeah, a big our, deal. Our standard joke is the ultimate job of any cable you ever buy is to it's be, to be wire, the <laughs> your wire pull the next yeah. generation of cable. That's its last yeah. dying art in your home when it pulls the next cable in. But again, right. you're, we just put together a system for people near and dear to me and my family. And I bought six ply yeah. OM3 and that's running to every room. I think I'm safe for a while. You're probably we're fine. Using, we're using one, I got five more. <laughs> I don't know what I'll do with them all yet, but uh, they're going to be in our house for a long time. And at the 2.1 HDMI, again, Jason and I studied this at length for this document. And the committee that we chaired had some of the brightest people I've ever had the mm-hmm. privilege to work with. You know, people from Quantum Data, people from Dolby, people from Crestron. You know, we had uh, Dave Meyer was one of the CD guys. If you ever run a CD course and you see Dave Meyer teaching a course from down under the Australia, take his class. Sign up, yeah, please He's sign one up. One of our subject matter experts. So we had a really rich talent pool. 
And this isn't my core expertise. So I learned a lot here. Now, Jason, you worked your tail off in that committee. Did you learn a bit too? Yeah, it, it was like, as you said, man, the, 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 the caliber of people who were on that team, you know, I'm, I'm an enthusiast who does this for a living. I grew up around this stuff and I've just always been around it and always loved it. But some of these guys are straight up real engineers and <laughs> just learning from them is, you know, it's kind of mind blowing stuff, but you know, those, those types of heads get together and ideas come up and, and concepts get explained in, in such a way that you're like, okay, I actually understand that now, but uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a great team and it's been a lot of fun to work on. And a lot of the stuff that we talk about in that document is like troubleshooting and HDMI extension and things like that. So um, a lot of it is right up the alley for like Meridio type customers, but um, you know, getting those engineers and stuff in the room to really help explain some of those, why things actually work and how they actually work was super fun. Well, just the definitions and the acronyms were a labor of love on that. But oh, yeah, you, we spent. After studying it for two years, the 48 gig standard is logical. Yes. So if you're putting a home together, you're putting a multi-room system together, 2.1 will take you for a long run. Having a conduit's a nice thing, but 2.1 is going to be taking us for a long time. Yeah. And sports will be revolutionized as soon as we can get it together. So you want your infrastructure to be ready for the next generation of TV. So HDMI, I got to you know, tip my hat to these guys. They did a good job on 48. It wasn't something they plucked out of the air. And a lot of thought and development went into this. And above there, you'll see some white compression in the future. But we're, not, we're years away. Very light. From going past 48. Mm -hmm. And most of what you're going to see is going to be half of that for quite some time. So we've got headroom. Robert, does that answer your question about you know, what's going on with the signal? Yes, and it leads me into my very last question. I'm going to ask you guys to break out your crystal balls. Mm -hmm. um, Ten years from now, when we, look at, when we look back at this period, what do you think are going to be the most important technologies uh, that have come from this era? Will it be uh, resolution? Will it be the refresh rates? Or will it even be something like micro LED, which I also think is kind of gaining momentum um, within the market too, with a very uh, niche crowd of uh, high-end consumers. And uh, Jason, could we start with you? Uh, yeah. If you could break out your crystal ball. Um, this, this is always a fun subject to talk about, but um, we're starting to see, I mean, going back three, four years on the trade shows, CD and ISE and, and those types of shows, We've been seeing micro LED getting bigger and bigger and bigger and less seams, better motion, mm -hmm. things like that. And the fact that on the consumer side of things, you can, most people, if they're really, really into it, can buy like a 75 inch version of that right now. Um, last ISE, actually the last time I traveled in Amsterdam uh, at the beginning of 2020, uh, Samsung showed up with a 535 inch micro LED wall that was P3 color and very high. I can't remember exactly how bright it was, but, you know, standing there and looking at that thing, they call it the wall for a reason. I mean, it is unreal getting up close to it, not seeing seams. That's, that's pretty cool. Another thing I see a lot of promise in is actually mini led. We're starting to see some TVs now with thousands of led zones. And if they can get the local dimming under control, you can have all the zones you want, but it's all about the control. If they can get the control. Uh, if they can get the mini leds under control for good local dimming, uh, that might be a huge game changer too. Also, there are some advancements in OLED that we're looking at that will get those into that, you know, easily get those into that, you know, 1500 to 2000 nit range. So lots of, lots of cool stuff coming. I, I really can't think of 
much more other than uh, pure actual laser-based projectors, which we are starting to see in the consumer world, those big like six laser giant Christie air-conditioned, you know, types of projectors. But um, yeah, I think uh, if I had to take any stab at it, I'd say uh, advancements in OLED, um, less pricing and less, ex less expensive pricing on the micro LED. And uh, we'll see what happens with mini LED and maybe even dual layer LCD. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, Robert, if, if you could uh, break out your crystal ball. Hmm. Well, thank you. And uh, boy, you said it so well already. But uh, I'm looking forward to micro LED. Mm -hmm. We've already received quite a few of the mini LEDs that we've tested. We both have 4K and 8K cool. LEDs right now. And we've calibrated a few of them and put them into our calibration lab. And we've seen some nice upgrades. Blacks are better, they're brighter. There's less glow and halo around bright mm -hmm. and dark backgrounds. So there is a nice advancement in mini LED. Again, video processing has been greatly improved this year. Um, and I'm looking forward to dual cell as we get more immersed in that product as well. What I think I'd like to see is both content like Dolby Vision has a lot of 12 bit, is 12 bit. I'd like to see physical 12 bit panels. Mm -hmm. Uh, so and content to go along with it, so we can go to over four thousand steps of illumination instead of being stuck at you know a thousand or so steps. So I'd like to have more gradation in tonal range, and color in each one of those luminance levels. So I'm looking forward to twelve bit content and physical uh, panels as well. Um, so that's it. The uh, trend has been very good, and this has been a major technology boost this year. And hey, thank you. Man. Projectors, I just want to say, if you design the room right and you wrap it in that black duvetine non-reflective fabric, you get the right screen, the right projector, the right size, and you can close the lens aperture down mm -hmm. to give you deeper, richer blacks, use the sharpest part of the lens, the center of the lens is the sharpest, again, reduce your blacks by closing the lens aperture down, you're going to greatly improve your the theatrical experience and your HDR experience as well in a cinema presentation. Okay, thank you. And uh, Joel, could you close us out with your crystal ball? Well, before I bring up the crystal ball, let's look at the Wayback Machine. Uh, let's go to 2012, the International Telecommunications document by 193 countries, the roadmap. So let's follow the roadmap before we get to crystal ball. Uh, the roadmap calls for 10,000 nits. Now, Energy Star may not be happy with that, but since there are very few spurious highlights in 10,000 nits, uh, I've seen lots of 4,000 nit monitors. I've only spent time in one room with one 10,000 nit monitor. And what was shocking is that it didn't look altogether too bright. It just looked wonderfully detailed because mm -hmm. there was no clipping. We mm -hmm. saw everything that was in the content. We didn't lose anything. So 10,000 nits is a 10 year old plan. 12-bit, keep Robert happy and you're 100% right. You want, you want smoother? I mean, the higher the bit depth, the closer to analog we get. We'll never get there, but you know, 8-bit's primitive, 10-bit's a good step. 12 is going to be home theater nirvana. It's going to be great. So 12-bit's part of the system. 2020 color. It's not crystal ball. It's on the roadmap. Who can do it? Uh, back in 2012, we had the laser guys pushing for it because they could do it with their 6B lasers. Mm -hmm. Now the quantum dot guys can do it. So mm -hmm. you can build flat panels with quantum dots. So I want 10,000 nits. I want pure blacks. I want 12-bit. 
I want my 2020 color. And to do that, it's going to be difficult. And the best video walls I've seen so far solve the biggest problem. Back in the old plasma days, I had one client who wanted six 103-inch plasmas brought into his, not to mention, Trump Plaza apartment. These were $80,000 panels, and he wanted one per room, and they wouldn't fit in the elevator. <laughs> which made no sense whatsoever to build a building like that. But that's up to Donald to figure that out. It's above my pay grade, but the guy had to get 85. So he couldn't get his 103s. Now, the new solution, and we just worked on one of the Sony projects, they make a crystal LED. And I think you've all seen it. It's not for the financial fate of heart. And from all measurements, you need to be 15.5 feet wide to get 4K. Mm -hmm. It does a thousand nits, it does P3 color, and it does really good blacks. This all sounds easy. Just put it in a room with light on. Sorry. Hmm. Now we get to play with it. It's a bunch of little Lego blocks that get put together. And if there's any bright light in the room, it shines off the screen and you see the blocks. So Robert was talking about data design for projectors. Keep your designer hat on, Robert, because when you start putting these million-dollar walls in, mm -hmm. you've got to use your head too. You can't have light bouncing off the screen. You can have tons of light going down, but it can't be on the mini little Legos that put these things together. But that goes into any apartment, any building, any wall, and you bring it in like Legos, plug it back together. And I think this will be part of our future, whether it's a rollable product that'll get into elevators or a product that comes in little Legos. If I have an ample power supply to get us to 10,000 nets, and since they're going to be filtering the color aggressively to get to 2020, it's going to take much more power than what we have now. So, so there's my prediction based upon 2012 document. Will we go beyond 2020 color? Not in my lifetime. Uh, the other thing we saw, and this is something I wish I never saw. We're going to go 120 hertz here in the States because we're based on the 1939 TV, which was based on the current wall. Europe is 50 pictures per second. And this is not my idea. This is a BBC demo. To unite the whole world between the 50 cycle TVs going to 100 and the 60 going to 120, the BBC did a devastating demo of a model train on a table with cameras capturing it. They showed 50, 60, 100, 120, and then those bastards showed 300. <laughs> <laughs> at 300 now this is temporal resolution this is your future temporal resolution is as important as either vertical horizontal or anything having to do with refresh when you get to 300 hertz i felt like i could reach into the tv and pick up the train fantastic so that's my crystal wall we'll reunite the planet one day at 300 hertz and jason if you do the math on your charts 48 gig won't cover it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow. You'll need something more. So that's not for my work lifetime. I'll hopefully yeah. be retired just by yeah, drooling over them. But 300 hertz logically is the worldwide solution between the dichotomy between 120 and 100. 300 works. And that big step from 60 to 120, we're going to love. And later on, when we get to 120 and we eventually get to 2020 color, we're going to knock people's socks off. And when we get to big panels so you can get any size you want, put them together like Legos or unroll them. These are the dreams we've had. And right now, if you have sufficient budget between Samsung's wall and Sony's crystal LED, you can wallpaper your wall. And there's a boat going together as we speak. It's a nice little carbon fiber racing sailboat. 
and the main galley will have a 15 meter flat panel because in most places where this thing goes, there aren't movie theaters. So this is something that can't be a dedicated theater because there are open windows. But this is a 15 meter flat screen assembled out of little modules together. But as we speak right now in the Jimmy Stewart Theater, Sony Pictures, they're running an LED wall mm -hmm. at a thousand nits in the movie theater. And my video guys are having a ball and my audio guys are miserable because you don't exactly put speakers behind those things. Yeah. So we don't have the audio figured out, but we'll work on that. We've got some smart people in this business. So uh, future, <laughs> big, big, bright, big, bright and colorful. I, I will say, as, as a throw into that, um, I recently did a story on Netflix's post-production studio oh, yes. in, in California with yes. the Meyer Sound mm -hmm. um, partnership with Sony for the crystal LED displays that they're using at Netflix now. So um, the audio companies are getting in on this to help out the video guys. Yeah. By the way, would you like the picture on the crystal LED? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Could Did you, you like with, driving the McLaren? I mean, <laughs> could you live with it at home if you had to? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're looking, these are seven figure televisions. Yeah. But that becomes consumer pricing in five years. And just for everybody to know, Crystal LED is a micro LED. It's mm -hmm. an emissive LED display, much like a plasma or an OLED or a CRT, which is emissive display, self illuminating, no backlight, good viewing angle. Good viewing angles, yeah. Fantastic viewing angle. Very mm -hmm. bright and scaled up to be very large. And that one has blacks, as yes. opposed to most of the LED walls that we see. Emissive is, means black to me. Yes. Very good. Well, um, I want to thank you guys for taking time out of your day to speak with me. Is on first? Robert, have you put a crystal LED in a home yet in the Northeast? Uh, I have one quoted right now. Okay. <laughs> I do. That's a back to you. I just want to see it being installed in homes. As yeah. people see it, that'll start to take off. Even the material, the material costs alone are 400000 on this one. Woo! Yeah. I would finish taping. No. Okay. Still That's a small one then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I want to thank you guys. And I, I'd also like to uh, pick this up in the fall, possibly around the Cedia time frame, so we could talk about the new products at Cedia and get the latest on CEB 28. Mm -hmm. We'll have it open by then. Which totally, is, yeah. yeah that'll, that'll be published, and we should be getting a head start on CEB 23. 28, I hope to have in your hands within 30 to 45 days. It's awesome. Out for, it's out for answer of you right now. Awesome. Uh, thank you guys for taking part in this call and, and speaking uh, with CE Pro today. I want to wish you all the, uh, to have a great day, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. Thank you all. Have a good day, all. Good day. Thank you.